following podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. If you have your Bibles this morning, we're in chapter 9. Of what book? 1 Corinthians. And so after encouraging the Corinthian believers to lay down their personal freedoms, their personal rights coming out of chapter 8. We find here in chapter 9, Paul using himself as an example of, what it, what, of the, all, everything that he's been talking about. He's now going to refer to himself, use himself as an example of what he's been talking about, what it means, what it looks like to be willing to sacrifice one's own life for the sake and needs of others. Now, on the surface, as we work through this ninth chapter, it's going to appear that Paul has gone off in an entirely different direction from what he has been talking about, but that really isn't the case. Paul is, again, referring to himself, going to be developing a very, very strong, watertight case to show and prove that which he has been saying, okay? This whole idea of being willing when God should call upon us to lay down personal freedom and personal rights for the sake of others so that others would not stumble with regards to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So he really hasn't changed directions. I'm just letting you know right now it's going to appear like he has, okay? He continues his thoughts on the importance of love and service and sacrifice over and against self-centeredness. He did so by illustrating from his own life the importance of serving and putting others first, even at the expense of his personal rights. My opinion, oh, how we need to hear this kind of message. Because it seems almost a universal belief amongst Americans that we should be able to do whatever we want. And here's our slogan, just so long as it doesn't hurt anybody. Right? It's kind of what we've lived by. We've all grown up in this country. And one of the most sacred words of our American ideals is the word freedom. In America, our freedoms include the rights, and we know these words from our Constitution, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. There are lots of songs with those words in them, such as the land of the free and let freedom ring and so on and so forth. And so an individual's freedom is extremely important in our nation. Would you agree? Now, I am not saying that that's a bad thing, okay? Not at all. Unfortunately, however, <laughs> the emphasis we place on personal freedom and personal rights often does not disappear when we become followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, we often transfer our freedom ideals 
right over into our faith. We think we should, hear, hear me now, somehow we think that we should be able to follow Christ any way we think that is right, so long as it doesn't hurt anyone. <laughs> we need to get over this personal freedom thing in terms of it when it becomes a handicap and a barrier from being all that Christ would call us to be. Now, Paul actually has been talking about this from start of chapter one. He's been saying this. And as you've heard me say often since we started this study in, in Corinthians, words that he has said that hopefully are really beginning to ring true in your heart and resounding in your minds on a regular daily basis. You are not your own. You've been bought at a price. We've just sang about that. Great songs this morning. Been bought at a price. And he finished that thought off. Therefore, honor God with our lives, right? So Paul continues saying this only through the example of his own life. He'd be doing that by affirming his own rights. He's going to be affirming them and making a solid case for them. Rights, however, which the Corinthians knew he had given up. Okay? He's going to be establishing a solid case for his rights, his own personal freedoms and rights, those which the Corinthians happen to know firsthand he had given up on their behalf. Because he didn't want anybody to stumble. Now, illustration. Here's an analogy from the world of baseball. I like baseball. Probably my favorite sport. Imagine this scene, okay? And I know we're not in baseball season, and I know that football's winding down, and we're in the last month of it. I like baseball. That's what my daughter-in-law said. <laughs> Imagine the scene, you're a member of a baseball team and you're playing in your most important game of the season. It's the bottom of the ninth inning. The score is tied. The bases are loaded and you're up to bat, okay? And as you're making your way to the plate, you've made a few practice swings and you're pretty excited about the opportunity that lays before you. And you're seeing all kinds of wonderful, glorious opportunity here to be the star of the day, the hometown hero. You're already envisioning ESPN highlights, <laughs> the sports page in the newspaper the next day with your picture and all kinds of great encaption. But like every batter is instructed to do before you step into the batter's box, you've got to look back at the third base coach. He's going to give you a sign for what he wants you to do. You, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt he's going to give you the swing away sign because that's what you're thinking. I'm swinging for the fence. I'm going for all the glory. Out of the ballpark grand slam. 
here I come. But to your dismay, <laughs> as you look back over at the third base coach, he, you know, he dusts his letters, tips his hat, wipes his nose, pulls his ear, and you can't believe what your eyes just saw. It's the sign for sacrificial bunt. <laughs> and you're thinking, what is the coach thinking? I've got a 365 batting average. I've already hit 30 home runs. This is a done deal. <laughs> the coach, though, over there at third base, he happens to have a bigger picture. <laughs> he happens to realize that the opposite team is thinking the same thing you're thinking. So he hasn't moved the infield up. They're still back there because they're thinking you're swinging away. They know you're average. They know what you can do with the bat. But the coach sees a bigger picture. And he sees a great opportunity for the team to win. It's going to cause you to sacrifice swinging away for the fence. And so at that point, you're faced with the decision. Will you sacrifice your right to swing away in order to let another teammate score a run? Or will you grab for the glory by attempting for a ball hit out of the park? Now, as we've already seen, the Corinthian team suffered the guy at the plate that we're just describing about from envy, selfishness, pride, strife. That was where Corinth was at, right? They're fragmented. They're all broken up. They're in divisions. They're fighting with one another. Each member's viewpoint reflected a distinct, isolated player, giving little thought to how one player's actions would affect the rest of the team. In this chapter, Paul shows us the attitudes that they portrayed. You could say that the team members at the Corinthian church kind of had this mantra going, I've got my rights. <laughs> well, then like a manager of a baseball team, Paul gathers together the players in the dugout and strongly urges the team to model his own strategy for victory. Placing the needs of the body of Christ above personal freedoms and rights. And that's what Paul's life was all about. And that's what he's going to be describing as he uses himself as an example. Let's look at the first three verses, chapter 9. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may, I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who sit 
in judgment on me. The Corinthians have been liberated by Christ to live in freedom. And they were intent on exercising these newfound rights. But the deal about these folks over there in Corinth, first century, if there was a way to get something that was right, wrong, <laughs> they would surely find a way. The Corinthians would find it. They, they had arrived at a place where they, they had taken and were using those newfound freedoms in Jesus to do what? To feed their egos and sinful desires, as we have seen, spending their freedom on selfish pursuits rather than encouraging their team members in the body of Christ, they demanded their own rights. So Paul challenges that very attitude that was prevalent amongst them. Since Paul himself sacrificed his rights as an apostle, then how is it that the church members at Corinth could insist on having their rights override the needs of others? Paul begins by simply listing his credentials, the highlights of his resume, if you will, with which his readers would have been thoroughly familiar with. He was a believer. He is an apostle. But not only that, one handpicked by God. An eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. We know that because of the, the, the Damascus Road experience and a laborer who had borne fruit for the kingdom of God. This is Paul basically saying to the people back at Corinth in this letter, stat that. <laughs> Not one of the Corinthian believers could argue against his stats in that sense. If I could use that phraseology, if it hadn't been for Paul's ministry in their city, they'd be lost and without hope, without Jesus. And those who were unfamiliar with Paul might have had grounds to doubt reports about him. In other words, those perhaps who moved into the city of Corinth after he had left may have had some possible grounds for doubt. They weren't there. They did not know him. But the Corinthians at large knew the truth because they themselves, as Paul says, were the seal of his apostleship in the Lord. These questions that he asked in these first three verses, and there will be more as you will see, indicate that Paul's opposition in Corinth may have challenged the authenticity of his apostleship. It's, it's, understandable, and here's what I mean. Elsewhere, Paul even called the Corinthian believers his letter of recommendation. He says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2. You are my letter of recommendation. Their own conversion certainly should have been sufficient to satisfy the Corinthians in this regard. Now, this would explain why in verse 3, he says, this is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. You see, from the preceding contexts and the following contexts, it would appear that some people were not very happy with what Paul had been teaching and preaching and saying in this letter. 
specifically at this point, that which he had to say about eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. If you remember, he finished out chapter 8 with, if it causes somebody to stumble, someone with the weak conscience, weak faith, then I will never, ever eat meat again. And obviously there were people in Corinth who did not appreciate that statement, especially when Paul was suggesting, encouraging that they do the same. <laughs> and so like we humans, when we are confronted with truth that convicts our hearts and we don't like it, what do we do? We turn it around. We twist it. And then we begin to discredit the messenger. And that's what's going on here in Corinth. Paul's refusal to eat meat, they did not appreciate. So they decide to twist and discredit. So Paul responds through a series of questions and considerations. As I said earlier, establishing a solid framework for the apostolic ministry that God had placed him in. So first he asked questions directly about himself and his ministry partner, Barnabas. The answers to these questions are so obvious that one can easily begin to sense Paul's, in a Christian sort of way, holy sarcasm. <laughs> Look at verse 4. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Obvious answer is what? Yes. Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers? He was referring to Jesus' brothers and Cephas, who was Peter. Answer, obviously, yes. Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? Obvious answer, no. Evidently, those who sat in judgment against Paul thought, and this is where you see the twist and their, the spin that they are putting on this. They must have thought that his refusal, that, you know, they're twisting the thing, that his refusal to take advantage of these rights, his rights as an apostle called by God, to be evidence that he actually lacked these rights. Okay, are you seeing that? They must have reasoned that he did not exercise these advantages, these personal freedoms and rights, because he really, truly did not have them. Because he really, truly was not an apostle, was where they're headed with this. So to counter that thinking, Paul affirmed his apostolic rights. Keep that in mind as we work through this this morning, okay? In these first six verses, Paul says, because we are apostles... We do have the right to be supported financially, as are James and Jude, the Lord's brothers, and Peter, and all the other apostles. Even though he supported himself, as we know by Acts 18, by making tents. He had a right to be fed and even receive compensation from the Corinthians. And even though he, he remained single... For the sake of those to whom he ministered, Paul basically explained, if I had a wife, I had a right to bring her along and join me in the journey of ministry. So Paul continues to build and strengthen his case 
as he appealed not only to the example of other church leaders, other apostles, but also to common daily life. Look at verse 7 with me. It says, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? And so in addition to our apostleship, Paul is saying, human logic dictates that we be supported, says Paul. After all, who goes to war and pays for his own equipment? <laughs> Doesn't happen, right? Paul, of course, is correct in this. Those who enlist in the Navy, do they have to bring their own ships? <laughs> Those who go into the Air Force, do they have to bring their own airplanes? No. If you serve in the, any of the branches of our military, you are provided with that which is needed to serve. Amen? Amen. So not only are military personnel provided for, but the farmer, Paul says, and the shepherd are allowed to eat of the fruit of their own labor. Now look at verse 8. Do I say this merely on human authority? Well, doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Now, is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us. Doesn't he? Yes. This was written for us because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. Well, what Paul has presented made sense from a human point of view as he just continues to build his case here. He doesn't stop there with that, right? Paul asks the question, were not these the very same expectations that were confirmed by God? as well. Paul insisted that God was in agreement because Scripture said so. Scripture proved the point by pointing to Deuteronomy 25 verse 4, which is that verse there and says, you know, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading the grain. In other words, God's law permitted the animals to eat as they worked. Paul knew that even though oxen are what is mentioned and referred to in Deuteronomy 25, he also acknowledges, wants the Corinthians to acknowledge that it's not really about the oxen, it is about us that Paul, that God has in mind. It is for us. The law is for us. It is right for the one who plows away in ministry, is what Paul is saying, to receive back something from the plowing. Verse 11, if we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder 
the gospel of Christ. Now, Paul goes on to give yet another reason why he had the right to be supported in ministry. Whether it's plowing for a harvest or sowing seed for a crop, basically he's saying it's already your custom to pay others. You're already doing that. Why not here? So why wouldn't this include us? In the second half of of verse 12, the apostle hinted at the relinquishing of rights that he would talk more about in verses in front of us. He had every right to be paid, but he did not use this right. Instead, basically he's saying, we put up with all kinds of trouble. (laughs) We put up with you, Corinthians. (laughs) in order to not hinder the gospel of Christ. Verse 13, don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered at the altar in the same way. The Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Paul not only referred to Old Testament law, but to the practices of the Old Testament community as he reminds the Corinthian believers that the priests, even the priests received a portion of the sacrifices brought to the altar. In verse 14, Paul refers to and mentions the command of the Lord. Well, what command is he referring to? I believe he's talking about the command that Jesus gave his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Jesus is sending out his disciples, and before he sends them, he says this to them. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey, nor extra tunic, a coat, or sandals, or a staff. And then listen to what he says, for the worker is worth their keep. Paul concluded that in the same way, the Lord, not mere humans, has commanded that those who preach the gospel message should receive their living from the preaching of the gospel message. Paul's conclusion could not have been put in stronger terms. He created a watertight case for the fact that he should be paid for the apostolic ministry. Common fairness supported him. Current social practices agreed. Most importantly, the Old Testament law itself clearly taught this very view. There was no reason that Paul did not qualify for compensation in terms of his apostolic ministry. Now, I want to pause here for a moment because like I said in the beginning, it's going to appear that Paul has gone off in a different direction. In fact, it kind of sounds like, man, 
Paul, all you're doing is just kind of shaming and guilting and manipulating and hinting away that the people back in Corinth owe you a whole lot of back pay. <laughs> but church, please, that is not what he is doing. Please understand that even though in verse 3 Paul says, this is my defense, Paul is, isn't responding here because his feelings have been hurt. Paul is responding in defense, not so much because of him, but because of the apostolic ministry and the delivering of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, if the folks back in Corinth can succeed in developing a doubt and causing people to think that Paul was not an apostle, that he was nothing but a fraud, you see, the next step from that would be then, then his message is not to be received, nor is it to be believed. And then you've got a big, big mess on your hands. Paul is responding to that. This is not about him as a person. It is about the message of Jesus Christ. He is laying down this amazing framework, solid framework, watertight case of his apostleship because the Corinthians back there, back home, back to the church, could not deny that he does have all of this. He indeed is called by Jesus Christ. He indeed has been ordained by God to bring the message. And the message wasn't his, it was his. And he's defending that. And so if I, as the apostle who had all of these rights, forsook them, then who do you folks think you are back there in Corinth to hang on to your personal rights? When I denied mine, and if anybody had a right to their rights, I did. And that's what Paul is doing here. And we've got to get that. And it's got to come through to us in our heads and in our hearts, church. If Paul could deny himself, relinquish that which was really his, then where does that put us? In not making it all about us, forsaking this whole self-centered, selfish kind of living, and actually being aware of and sensitive to the needs of others, even if it means at the expense of our laying down, of our sacrificing what is and might be a, a true right of ours, but being willing to lay it down. Hopefully, by now you're getting that and that you're hearing that and that you're allowing the Spirit of God to speak that to your own hearts. We know that Paul isn't interested in getting anything from them. Look what he says in verse 15. But I have not used any of these rights, and I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. You see that? For Now look what he says. I mean, I want you to hear the passion in this. For I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. Now, he's, 
Yeah, I think he's kind of using hyperbole here as we're going to see. Not that he's going to be bragging about it because he knows he can't. <laughs> it's just that that's how important it is to him to have the ability to relinquish like he did for their sake. On the basis of apostolic ministry, human logic, Old Testament law, present customs, Old Testament community, and Jesus' command, Paul makes a persuasive and powerful case that he had the right to be supported in ministry. But then he says, I did not use my rights. I would rather die than cause the Corinthian believers to stumble in this area. He, didn't want to, he did not want to give anyone any kind of ammunition to discredit or question his motives as an apostle of Christ. You see, in Corinth, and this is important to know, at this particular time, first century, time that Paul writing this letter, there were a number of teachers running around, both Christian and pagan, who were ripping people off financially. So Paul laid aside his right to be supported in ministry in Corinth so as not to wound the weak conscience of any member of that Corinthian church. There are those who use this passage to say that the way every ministry should be, that's how it should be. No pastor, no minister, no preacher should receive support from doing what they're doing. But those who do that obviously do not know the whole counsel of God. Obviously, they've not looked at the passage we've just got through looking at, nor have they considered 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8, where Paul says he was able, this is more important information, he was able to forfeit his right to be supported by the Corinthians only because... He was receiving support from other churches. And so he was being compensated, wasn't he? But that allowed him the ability to relinquish those rights in Corinth where he could have had even more. It was rightfully his. But he relinquished them for their sake. Verse 16, for when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. That 16th verse goes like this in the New Living Translation. Yet preaching the good news is not something I can boast about. I am compelled by God to do it. How terrible of me if I don't preach the good news. The message, 
If I proclaim the message, it's not to get something out of it for myself. I am compelled to do it and doomed if I don't. I want you to take those words and apply them to your life. Not necessarily towards the idea of preaching, but I do want you to take that and apply it to your life with regards to serving and sacrifice. Is that your attitude? I am compelled and I am doomed if I don't. Wow. Can I just ask you this for you to ask yourself? How's your serve these days? Seriously. Paul is saying, in other words, I don't glory in the fact that I let go of my right to be supported in order that I might preach to you, says Paul. For I have found, for I have no other choice but to preach. For you, hopefully it is, I have no other choice but to sacrifice and serve. Amen. Verse 18, what then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge. And so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. To the Corinthians, Paul says, I'm not going to charge for the gospel. I'm not going to lay a burden on people. I'm not going to play games with people. Certainly not going to rip them off. Paul's reward was the opportunity to preach the gospel message with an attitude that basically says, and this is found in the verse of Matthew chapter 10, just prior to verse 9 and 10 that I referred to, where Jesus tells them, don't take this, don't take that, because the worker is worthy. You know what he said in the verse before that? Freely you have received, freely give. Wow. I want to finish up this morning by going back to our baseball analogy, okay? I left you at the batter's box. (laughs) You're faced with the decision. There's a hush in the dugout. The fans in the stands have become silent. All eyes are on you. But only two eyes concern you. (laughs) The third base's coach's eyes are piercing right through you. You look back over there again to make sure you didn't see the wrong side. And sure enough, does his letters, wipes his nose, tips his hat, pulls his ear. It's the sacrifice bunt sign. (laughs) finally the umpire breaks the silence play ball and you've got to step into the batter's box what will you do Will, will you yield your right to swing at any pitch that you want will you swing for a home run to impress all the fans are you still seeing highlights on ESPN 
Are you running through in your mind Robert Redford running the bases in the natural? <laughs> what will you do? Swing away, swing for the fence to impress all those fans in the stands who are holding up signs that have got your name and number on them. <laughs> what will you do? Or will you follow your coach's signal and sacrifice so that somebody else can score the winning run and no doubt be the hero of the game instead of you? Paul's exhortation calls each of us, if I could use this term, to not only take one for the team, but to give everything we have for it. We must always put the love of Christ and the love of his body, the church, above our own interests. This means being willing to give up our personal Christian freedom and rights when called upon to choose our own, you know, and calls us from giving up the whole idea of choosing our own paths in life, demanding it be our way or the highway. Letting go of our rights to convenience and comfort, personal gain. It always means pouring ourselves out on the spiritual altar as living sacrifices for the sake of the kingdom. Each day, we have to choose how we will play. Will we play selfishly, making our own decisions, pursuing our own paths? Or will we throw ourselves into the game? Which I want to elevate that term now and refer to it as the battle, the war, spiritually, that we are in as a faithful member of God's army, God's team, looking out for others. The decision is a tough one. You know that it is. I know that it is because it goes against the grain, doesn't it? The grain of what? The grain of self-centeredness. The grain of it being all about me goes against the grain. But it is a decision that we must make. And hopefully we will choose correctly and choose Jesus and choose each other over ourselves. Amen. Father, we come before you. And I am, I am trusting that your spirit has spoken to all of our hearts. That we have been confronted with some truth from your word. That is causing us, hopefully, to inspect our own hearts and ask ourselves, what kind of team member have I been? Have I been more concerned about me? that I am about others? 
Have I been so full of myself that I have been blinded to the needs of others? I pray, God, that you break that in us. May the blinders be removed as we intentionally ask for your help to empty ourselves of ourselves so that you can come and fill us with more of you so that we can be the member of your body, Lord, that you have called us to be. I, I just pray, God, that you just bring this to our hearts. May we do business with you in a serious way. For I ask this in Christ's name. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up.